if I could go back in time for a day before I had a child, I would get so much done in that day. I would wake up at five and I'd be working to midnight and I would not be exhausted. It would be super easy to redo any day before I had kids because the perspective of having a child does change it. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 208, we have the first part of AJ's chat with yet another successful multi-hyphenate female filmmaker, actress, you name it, Jenica Schwartzman. And sidebar, dear Hollywood, why don't we have more female showrunners? Right? Just, Just a question. Uh, in part one, Jenica dishes about her collaborative relationship with her husband, how she balances the different hyphenates in her multi-hyphenate life, and how landing in Hollywood during the writer's strike may have defined her entire career. All of that and much, much more, including our picks of the week, coming up in episode 208. Support for this episode, uh, as many of our episodes of Inside Acting, comes from VO2GoGo.com. Who are they? Well, they're the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Why go anywhere else? Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add that voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. So AJ, you're back in LA and it poured the other day. You're welcome, town. So thank you for bringing us some rain. The you're welcome, state town. of California. Thanks you profusely. That's really funny because I, Jasmine and I had that exact thought and I almost tweeted it. (laughs) First, first full day back in Los Angeles and it's pouring rain. Brought it from New York. You're welcome. It was so glorious. And of course I saw on Facebook and all this stuff, all these videos about like LA people freaking out when it rained, but not, not freaking out when there's an earthquake. (laughs) Yeah, that BuzzFeed video. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that, that, man. That definitely made the rounds yesterday. Who was, <laughs> was that? So I think good. it was an earthquake. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was awesome, man. So so you are uh, you and Jazz are in Long Beach right now, right? Uh, Manhattan Beach. Manhattan Beach. I was close. A, a, a beach. It is a beach. A beach uh, down south far 20, away. We're here. We're in Los Angeles. We don't live here yet. Uh, it's very strange. We're just still transitioning. I was saying before we started recording that I don't have much to catch up on other than to say... We're in transition. Mm. You know, everyone we've seen in the last couple of days, you know, we obviously had a great time at the Real Talk launch party. That was a blast. And then uh, uh, seeing friends and stuff since then, everybody we've seen, Jasmine, like, has, well, we both sort of instated this policy of like, yes, we would love to hang out with you when we're not homeless. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> priorities, people. Priorities. <laughs> priorities. Priorities. Must yeah. must find home. So must this is in, this is really interesting because you're basically starting over from from well not from square one but you're you're going through the sort of basic motions that a lot of actors go through when they first arrive in LA. The difference is you've got a few things under your belt that usually come after you find an apartment. So it, how how are you approaching this process? Just sort of having been through it once or twice now. Anything different, or is it just the same old? Well, like, I mean, around? I hate to, I hate to go GI Joe on our listeners, but knowledge is power. Like, uh, you know, we 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 have had the, or I, you know, Jasmine didn't spend that much time here. She was here for maybe six months um, before we moved to New York. So, but you know, I've we I, we know the neighborhoods. We know where there's you know affordable places to live, which is part of our goal is to you know um, save money and and stuff while we're here. We know you know, where we want to work, where we want to play, where we want to live, and and even how we want to get around. I, I said this um, a few episodes ago, but, you know, being spoiled by the mass transit system in New York has really inspired me at slash us to, you know, try alternative modes of transportation. So I dropped off Jasmine's bike, um, which she hasn't ridden in two years because we've been in New York. I dropped her bike off at a bike shop to get some repairs done to it, and I'm going to be getting a, a, a new one. I found out that I get like a discount through through Apple, which is awesome. Awesome. And so, you know, we're 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 gonna, you know, approach this in a different way, but using all of the knowledge that we had or have from having having been here before. You know, I'm not just excited about acting and of course that's when that's when it all happens, right? Like that's when you know, I'm 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 here to work on my class at UCLA and, 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 and like I said, save money. And of course I get an email from a friend of mine saying, you know, um, Hey, I have a part for you in this short film that I'm doing, hmm. you know, when <laughs> I wasn't even, you know, he was like, are you back in LA? I was like, yeah. He goes, Oh my God, this is amazing. I have this part for you. You know? So it, it, it always happens. It happens to our, our guests, uh, our listeners and us, you know, when we're not focused on it, that's when it, that's when it starts to come. All, so. Every, every time, man, every, every time. time I always book when I don't care <laughs> or when I'd actually prefer sort of not to work that job. That's always when I, when I book it or when uh, I get a call back, it's just like, what is that? Like, you know, you do that. Either you don't care or you book a flight to go out of town. And right. you book the job, of course, right when your plane takes off. And like, wow. oh, got to turn around as soon as I land. Such an interesting <laughs> thing that the universe does there. It's, it's like right. without fail. Right. Well, that's cool. So uh, you, you guys have rented a car now? Or are you borrowing someone's car? How's, how is it working? We're using, I actually left my old car. Uh, I half sold it to my parents. Ha- half um, sold it? Yeah, because I was going to sell it to them. And they gave me some money, but then not the rest of it. Which wasn't, I don't know, they weren't trying to stiff me or anything. Where's my money? Where's my Uh, money, Dad? Where's my money? (laughs) Where's my money? Uh, (laughs) Hi, Mom. Uh, Yeah, no, they weren't trying to to stiff me or anything. It's just the way that it worked out. Um, You know, plus they obviously, they're parents, so they help out in a billion other ways. We came back and we're like, can we borrow my car back from you? Um, And they said said yes. So we're probably going to get another one at some point. But we'll see how the biking thing goes, you know. Cool, um, I've cool. been in close communication with Mark Vashro. Yeah. <laughs> getting getting pointers and tips. I even texted you. I was like, where should I go? Uh, where should I go get this bike repaired? Did you end up taking the the train to downtown for the Real Talk launch party? 
I was going to, and um, I just I looked at the schedule, and it, it ended up being like a half hour longer, and which which normally wouldn't be a problem, but I was already kind of just like toast for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, so I was like, you know what? At the end, after this party is done, I know I'm going to be tired. Like you know, when I leave, do I really want to spend you know an hour? you know, in transition between the different lines, because it would have been three different transitions between different train lines to get to downtown, down to General Lee. So I ended up driving. Got it. Yeah, Got but, it. Well, but I, I try to default to, to public transportation whenever possible, A, because it's just better for the environment and better for my wallet, but B, because it's such a, it's such a more stimulating sensorial experience. I mean, you see an experience and feel and probably smell i wouldn't know but lots of different things that uh that you don't get when you're in the same familiar little bubble of your car all the time Mm. so i i think it's it's good for creative artistic people in so many ways to just step outside your comfort zone and and yeah it takes longer but isn't that the beauty of it what are we in such a rush for all the time and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't take longer. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, and yeah, I mean, I got more reading done on the subway than ever in my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> while living in New York. And hey, speaking of the environment, I know you would never talk about this on the podcast, so I'm gonna do it uh, with or without your your blessing, and just <laughs> let our listeners know that um, Trevor has a GoFundMe happening right now to support him in getting to the climate uh, leadership core training is that right climate reality leadership core training in miami um you can check out his twitter for the links to that but we've already had several listeners um donate and it just makes me so happy that there's that that we've created this community that's so awesome and closely knit that people are you know reaching out to you on this sort of i guess you know it's personal and it's public issue saying like yeah go get them you know and and Mm. donating it 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 warms my heart. I know it warms your heart, but I also know that you would never talk about it. So, yeah, uh, I'm gonna do it I, for you. Uh, thank, thank you for that, and thank you for contributing. You and Jasmine sent a really generous donation, and and I, I gotta say, I knew it was gonna you know cost money to go to the training. The training is free, but participants have to pay their own travel and board and all that stuff. And I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to sort of foot the bill myself without putting myself in a really tight, tight, tight position for the next few months. And so I started the GoFundMe and I thought maybe I would get a few donations from a few friends, but that I would really have to be working emails and, you know, asking people for money, which is something I w- was not looking forward to. And I, I have to say, it, it almost brings tears to my eyes that how willing uh, so many people have been to just step up and chip in with encouraging words. Uh, and I, I, I didn't have to ask, I haven't had to ask anybody and I only have, uh, just a, a little bit more to go to hit the, the goal. And I haven't had to, to reach out to anybody. All I've done was sort of share that this was something that I was doing and, and people just chipped. It's like, I, I can't put the feeling into words. It's the most overwhelming, uh, feeling of gratitude I've ever experienced. You well, you know, uh, on on your side of the fence, you absolutely deserve it, and on our side of the fence, you know, we're grateful as well. The thing that I said, you know, in my voicemail to you, you know, for every dollar I donate, that's like that's basically like donating. It's 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 equal to the energy of me going out and volunteering for some you know beautification project or environmental environmentally conscious project. If I if I went out and like you know planted trees or something for an hour. And, mm-hmm. and and I get paid, you know, 
let's pretend I get paid twenty dollars an hour at work. It's like if I donate twenty dollars, that's like donating an hour. It's like it's almost like volunteering an hour. The, the energy is equal, as far as I'm concerned, and in, in in terms of the way that the universe looks at you know the balance of things. Hmm. It's like I'm hmm. I'm I'm you know supporting you in 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 going and and making this happen and and what is going to be returned is going to be you know tenfold what these people are contributing now that makes sense yeah yeah totally i i i really hope so (laughs) uh and (laughs) and don't fall asleep in the training trevor (laughs) (laughs) well the the coolest thing is that like i you know climate change as as we've talked about on this show before is a divisive topic you know it can really cause some some rifts in relationships based on the different beliefs and and values and things that people have and I, I've had a few uh, relationships become kind of permanently damaged. Not, I, you know, I, I'm not blameless, but I'd like to think that I wasn't the aggressive party. Uh, maybe that's just a nice, convenient story to tell myself. But it, <laughs> I, I was, I was also concerned. You know, like there's a, a piece of a piece of me that has a voice that's saying, like, you know, Trevor, people are going to think. You know that you're a hippie tree hugger. That you're, you know, a, a, an environmental activist. You're one of those crazy Greenpeace people, like spraying green paint on Hummers at, and stuff like that. You know, like one of those people. And uh, what's been really amazing is the support that I've gotten is from so many people, like like you, who are like, I 110% believe in this cause. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Like that, that's the icing on the cake for me is to know that like, oh no, a lot of people out there do think this is an important thing. I'm not just a band, one of like a tiny group of people that, that are on the fringes of society. This is actually a movement that has legitimate backing from smart people, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So uh, it it just, it feels good. It just, it feels really, really wonderful. And thank you for bringing it up. I I was not going to bring it up. I don't want to, you know, push my own agenda on this show too much so um i'm just glad that that uh it's working out so far and uh, i'm really 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 excited to be in miami in two weeks and to be learning about how to take a leadership position on this issue and and make a difference without alienating people you know by enrolling people um in a in a compassionate way well i'm proud of you the team is proud of you and our listeners are proud of you so um Time to end the conversations, Mr. Algad. <laughs> um, and speaking of our speaking of our listeners, um, our we have a special event coming up for our members that we have been remiss in speaking about on the podcast, or would be remiss if we didn't speak about on the podcast. Rather, um, we have a, a, a membership event coming up. When is it? The, uh, next Thursday? The 24th, right? Next Thursday, September yeah. 24th. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's being put together by our community manager, Deborah Smith. She's the brain behind brains behind the operation on this particular event. Um, but it is, it's so cool. It's basically an event meant to bring together our members and create an environment such that everyone can learn what everyone's like particular skill sets are and what everyone needs support with so that if you need support with a particular aspect of your career you can reach out to oh i didn't know that that member that's also in the membership group with me they have that skill set that i you know could maybe uh, draw upon in order to uh to to get support so Hmm. it's gonna be really cool we're gonna do an in-person thing in culver city 
and the exact location will be given to you upon your RSVP to the event. But it's Thursday from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. That's Pacific time. And I say that because we are including any of our me- any and all of our members by uh, having a Google Hangout link, which will also be um, given to you upon RSVPing. So to RSVP and you're in New York or Australia, as long as you can be available uh, sometime between 4 and 8 p.m. on Thursday, September 24th, uh, Pacific time, you can join the Google Hangout and be right there in the room with us, the rest of the team, and the rest of our members. And it's going to be really exciting. Uh, I'm stoked about it. Uh, Trevor, is there something that you're really excited about with regards to this, or is there something that you think I'm leaving out? I, I, to be honest, I'm excited for the food. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know, like leave it to you. We, we, leave it to you. <laughs> we've been internally chatting about uh, you know the things that we're going to be bringing because you know the team is going to be providing a lot of the food, and uh, you know Deborah chimed in with something that she's going to be making and bringing, and I know I've got a few recipes that I've really been enjoying that I'm going to make and bring, and uh, so I'm going to be I'm excited for that. I think that there is something so primal and magical and special about getting a group of people together at a table with food. With a, common, bread, with a common ideology and just like yeah. there's something really special about that. And the older I get, the more I value that over like anything else in life. So I am really excited for just, just to get together with people and, and have some good food, feed our bodies in, in the right way and, uh, and just support each other. I mean, does it get any better than that? No, it's no, breaking no, bread. It I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's beautiful, man. I do have one request, though. For okay. people who are going to be joining us via, you know, FaceTime or Google Hangout or whatever, uh, can you send them a, a couple of recipes so that they can, you know, oh, totally. uh, make themselves some food? I mean, I'm sure some people have their own ideas for what they want to eat, and that's totally cool. I mean, you know, if you want to order in, <laughs> be our guest. <laughs> but uh, it would be really cool if they had like a, a Trevor recipe that they could put together before – you know, before the event and, sure. and be ready to go. Yeah. Well, what I, what I'm, I'll just go ahead and just dump the spoiler on here. I'm going to make a the vegan Caesar salad from the Thug Kitchen cookbook. I've made it a few times, homemade croutons, homemade Caesar dressing. It's, it's phenomenal, and uh, I'm really excited to be bringing that. So I'll put that recipe together. It's easy to make. doesn't take too long. I'll put it together and throw it up on the membership group for people to um, take advantage of and make themselves and eat while they're in front of their computers yes. <laughs> watching the fun i love it yeah okay so check this out everybody this episode of inside acting as you know uh is supported by rehearsal and by vo to go and the next version of rehearsal is is coming it's not called rehearsal 3 it's called rehearsal pro the newest version of the essential app for actors and you know why we've why we believe it's essential uh and we're not the only people i think there's like some 77,000 people who use rehearsal on an ongoing basis around the world many of them celebrities uh, you can be part of the development of this next version of rehearsal it's in development right now all you have to do is go to rehearsal.pro slash iap to get in on the indiegogo campaign where you can put in your feature requests and get the new version of rehearsal at a discount And exclusively for listeners of Inside Acting, you can back the campaign at $12 and get your copy of Rehearsal Pro at a 40% discount. $12 is a 40% discount. So basically, you're backing at $12 and you're getting the app for $12 when it's complete. So you just want to use this link, rehearsal.pro slash IAP. 
click on the Contribute Now button. Don't click on one of the perks. Click on the Contribute Now button and just enter $12. If you use that link, click Contribute Now, enter $12. We'll be able to keep track of it all. Uh, you'll be able to put in your feature requests. They'll know that it came from the podcast, and uh, we can all be a next uh, part of the creation of the next version of Rehearsal, which is Rehearsal Pro. Contribute now and make the app yours at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. All right, right on. So uh, I guess uh, I guess that's all that's all we got for this first chunk. Yeah, I want to jump into the uh, the interview. Yeah, that's it for chunk one. I, I saw an article um, disparaging about the, the the fact that there are so few female showrunners in, in TV these days. That the that 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 the progress of women is sort of stagnated in that particular area, and I just don't get it because I mean we have we've had so many powerful female. Uh, uh, filmmakers and multi-hyphenates come on the show it just doesn't make any I mean going all the way back to episode one you know uh, with Brenda Edelman or or like uh, Mariana Polka you know like that we've had like amazing female artists on the show since since day one and I just I don't get it but anyway here's another one Hollywood listen up uh, and to our listeners enjoy this and uh, we'll catch you on the other side Welcome to the interview portion of the episode. This is AJ, and I'm so excited to be actually on Skype with uh, our latest guest, who is another multi-hyphenate, and I'm really excited to talk to her on the heels of Brandy Ford and Leah Savoli, because um, she is a combination of everything that they're up to, you know, sort of all wrapped up into this one package, multi-hyphenate writer, director, actor, producer... Jenica Schwartzman, thank you so much for coming on the show. Why, thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So we usually like to start at the beginning. Um, and, of course, you know, being a, a podcast about acting, this is in the context of, you know, how you came into this crazy world. Because sometimes I feel like, you know, if people could do anything else, they might actually do that instead. <laughs> so <laughs> what what led you to uh, to you know, being the, the multi-hyphenate, uh, was it acting first? Was it writing first? What was the spark? It's definitely right. Um, acting <laughs> doesn't sound like I mean, definitely if I mess it up. Um, it was definitely acting first. I grew up in the church. I was always on stage. I always wanted to act and I knew I was going to college for that. And I had no idea that I probably should have been researching and working in the other fields while I was in college and had all that time to learn and focus. Um, and I came to Los Angeles in 2007 during the writer strike. And I'm part of that unique uh, new digital age actor that uh, was thrown into the web world and web series and everybody's creating their own content immediately. And I was working on an independent film that I knew was not going to get 
finished or distributed. I, I worked on several projects that you get a feeling when you're on set, like this could easily fall apart. I see that this is going to take five years in post-production or they're going to need to do this and that. It, it was very uh, early on in my acting career here in Los Angeles that I knew that I wanted to do everything I can to get my projects that I was connected to finished. And I wanted to learn how to do that. And I have a, an administrative mind and I love everything that comes with arranging and putting things together and producing. So um, my husband and I started uh, creating our own content and going to film festivals to meet directors who were actually working. And that requires a lot of producing as well. So it was just one step at a time. Every single step was motivated by, as an actor, if I want to get out there, this is what I should do. Um, somebody has to package me. Somebody has to make sure my stuff gets out there. Oh, I want to write content that has better characters that really fit me. Oh, let's write content that's for us. You know what? We need to work in features. So it was just one, two, three, all the way to now... Uh, we are producing a feature this winter that is our second full-length feature that my husband and I wrote together. And this is maybe our fifth feature that we've produced on together. I don't know. It's been uh, really fun to explore being a writer and a producer, having no intention of going out and doing that when I began. Hmm. Yeah. Did you? Did you, in terms of... Because I know that you and your husband are, you know, a, a, a team on this uh, and it's the family aspect is something I want to talk to you about as well. Did you start writing? Was, was I mean, I guess I'm asking, when did you get married? <laughs> but when did you start working? When did you start collaborating with him? Was it before 2007 or or after? Um, around 2008, Brian and I were working on a web series together. Um, it was actually a feature that we were shooting that later because of post-production um, and pacing and I think money and a couple other issues was cut into a web series, which we were really happy with that. Uh, we were producing on that web series together and then that led to more. My husband had written uh, several scripts before we got together. And when we got married in 2009, I think we had already talked about what movie he wanted to do next or what project he wanted to do next. And then we started writing it together in 2011. Um, we had some years in there, you know, being married and working on things. And uh, when you finally start writing a script, it's very exciting and very fun. Um, and I got to learn a lot from him on his writing process. He used to have a writing partner years ago. And he knew more about the writing, and I wanted to get in on the outline. And I feel very strongly about story and uh, character and discussions like that. So um, it's very much a collaborative process back and forth. And then there's this point in our writing where Ryan's written an entire draft with our discussions and everything we put together. And then I go through and I write, like, what, 10 pages of notes of things that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> that need to change and you, that I'm just going to You guys must have a do. really strong relationship. Oh yeah. Perfectly uh, safe, uh, creative atmosphere here. And then I write a draft and then we go back and we discuss more. And we also always write with producing in mind. So budgetary constraints and locations and things like that always come into play as we're, um, 
and parts for us as actors is very important. Uh, for instance, on our first feature, Gordon Family Tree, that we produced in 2012, that was a vehicle for Ryan to star in. And we knew, since we were producing on the film, that I wanted to... I wanted to do a role that would be a great fit for me as well as make sure that the movie gets produced well. So I took a step back and said, I don't want to be like your main romantic interest. I want to be the quirky blah, blah, blah. I want to be this other girl um, written for me, super fun, awesome character, but I only need to work three days because the rest of the days I need to produce. And then we have this um, switch off for the next film that we're shooting this winter, Parker's Anchor, where I'm the lead. This is a vehicle for me. And Ryan's taking a step back and he's playing a smaller character that's fun and adventurous and hilarious. But he only needs to work like uh, a few days, four days, so that I can be safe knowing that he's producing all the other days. So it's a nice... Um, everything we're writing and producing is done very mindfully and we have a lot of intention of the whole point of the process and we keep checking back in with each other on that, but it's also creative. It's not just, (laughs) (laughs) not just vehicles. vehicles. Uh, I mean, we're, you know, it's smart obviously. And, and a lot of actors these days do it, but some do it, you know, super well or better than others and that's why you know we're we're talking to to you today so i i want to come back actually to this um this trade-off you're you're mentioning between you and and your husband where one of you takes on more of a uh producing role while the other one you know is featured and vice versa um when we come back around to talking about family because i also know that you to have a child together, which I can't even begin to imagine. When we talked to Brandy Ford, she has three kids. They're a little bit older than yours, but one and a half, right? It's, your son is one and a half. Is that right? My son is one and a half, and he is a bundle of laughter and joy and hilarity that inspires me beyond words to throw everything else to the wind and just spend time with my son. Like, he's amazing, and that is impossible to work around. <laughs> right. I was going to say, you can't, you can't throw everything to the wind and play with your bundle of joy if you also want to do so. Exactly. I have a lot of questions about that, uh, but <laughs> we'll get to that later because I want to um, rewind for a second and ask you, uh, if you hadn't come to Los Angeles in 2007 during mm-hmm. the writer's strike, do you think your journey would have ended up being what it has been? Not at all. I think that the writer's strike uh, generation, I'll call it, because why not? Somebody should quote me on that. So no, I'm famous. I, I, I love that because, because it got me thinking. We, we haven't, you know, it, the podcast started six years ago now. So it's been 2009. So it, it did happen. We have mentioned it on the podcast before. And we do talk, spend a lot of time talking about DIY stuff and talking to people who are de- doing their own um, projects, but I've never really thought about it in the context of the post, you know, it's almost like BCAD. It's like before the writer's strike and and (laughs) after it really is because there's so much of the self-generated content started. Yeah. Around that time, 2007, 2008, 2009. So, um, I, I think you should absolutely be quoted and coin that that <laughs> phrase, the, that phrase, the writer strike generation. It wasn't necessarily just the event that got people doing their own content. I feel that it was 
the um, the city was filled with the top talent with times on their uh, time on their hands and all this art that they wanted to pour out with all of their favorite people because everybody was available. So all of this web contents and um, it became popular and okay to do your own content because there were more famous people, there were more uh, names, uh, people of stat- uh, status or whatever available to participate. So there is like an endorsement factor. So mm. if I'm going to do series, I can quote, well, you know, so-and-so did a web series or, and then Lisa Kujo's web series or this or that. And then you have all of these bloggers that, um, are now writing about the web series and there's this legitimacy that was given to it. So it wasn't just the creation of the content that I feel like was significant so much as, um, everybody getting involved in the city. And it was this fun, I don't know, recess. And horrible. <laughs> and I know that it destroyed lives and it's a you know disaster in so many ways. But I was lucky enough to come here and not be able to rest on my laurels of, well, my agent will help with this or I can do it this way or I have these many headshots and I can uh, get a bike messenger doing this and I can get to these many offices. You had to think outside the box for the first time. Everything was changed and everybody was on the same playing field again, I guess. And I feel really... Uh, blessed because I was connected with our director, Mark Campson. We do a lot of content with and their team. They already had a camera. They had just finished film school. They were ready to go at the right time. So it is definitely the everything in the right place at the right time type group of people. And I don't have a lot of peers that came out of my college at the same time that had the same mindset as me that, oh, let's go out there and let's do this. And uh, think outside the box and try all these new types. And I have, I don't know, web series and shorts and things out there, commercials. I don't even have a list of everything that we have. I don't even have links to everything we did because we were just creating content and meeting people. And now I'm a little bit more focused. And all of that was a learning period. And I remember my first day I got a YouTube account in college I remember my friend told me I should do that. You know, it was a it was a special time that I'll look back on. <laughs> it was the MySpace to Facebook transition years. It was a good time for everybody in the performance world because everything was becoming more interesting online and easier to find and easier to share. It was great. Hmm. I I can't yeah. Th- that that the writer strike generation and the bullet points that you just laid out of what it did to this town. I I love it. I I'm it it's 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 sort of baking my noodle a little bit because <laughs> you know it makes me think of you know the 6 years worth of doing this podcast and we've been so focused on you know you, you know creating your own content or getting involved with people who are creating their own content and I don't know why but for some reason I never thought about the you know the bomb that went off uh, and, and, you know, you, you were saying, uh, there was some horrible things. There was, I think there was like billions of dollars being lost something like every day. It was crazy. I heard figures once of like the millions of dollars that were being lost every day and therefore the billions that were lost over the course of, you know, however long it, it lasted. Um, I remember back then how much, uh, the town itself was, was losing. And so we were talking about, people who had cafes across from studios who weren't getting as much traffic in their restaurant because, you know, people mm. weren't working. And, you know, it was, 
it, it, it was bad, but it, it, it is interesting. The phoenix that rose out of the ashes of this event it, it are these content creators, the DIYers, the, the people creating their own web, web series and, and whatnot. Now, I, I want to ask on that note, because you mentioned not having links or not knowing, <laughs> you're like, I have no idea there's so much stuff that got created. You have uh, an impressive IMDb resume. And <laughs> you're welcome. And a lot of them are, you know, there's some shorts in there and um, and some web series stuff, but there's, you know, uh, some some features, some, some uh, you know, other t- TV shows. I'm wondering if you could break it down in a percentage. How much of that have you sort of sneakily uh, created for yourself? If I can oh, call I it that. I don't know the exact number. I'm sure it was like 90%. Um, there was a time where I would, well, there was a time. There is a time every single time um, I want to do something with my career. It's very focused. Like, I need the IMDb credits. I don't have any. What do I do? I work on movies that are going to be on IMDb. So... I should just learn how to do that. And then I learned the process of short films, you know, go through without a box. Oh, great. I can get a few of those. I don't want a lot of short films because I don't want to be seen as the actor who is only in short films. I want to do features for a living. So I wanted to start being a part of um, independent film projects where, you know, you put out a lot you get paid nothing, but you get credit and the movie might get finished, hopefully. And once I understood and learned the IMDb ropes, then I would share it with other people. I would help, you know, the best thing I could share with people creating their own content is that it's not self-focused. It definitely is a team effort by everybody that you've ever met. So-and-so is working on something great. I want to get in on that. So I'm willing to go spend a day or two to help. Of course, I'm going to get a line out of it because people want to help people. It's going to happen. So there was a lot of like trying really hard to be, um, calculated in making sure that I'm a part of projects that are going to be on IMDb because that was my focus. And then, um, randomly my husband and I worked, um, did some stuff for IMDb and gave them lots of information about our experience when they were creating new, uh, I don't know, information for their site and their site was evolving a little bit. And even though it may seem sneaky, it is top quality products uh, that we took to film festivals and we won awards. The idea was that we weren't just focused on the credit. It was an um, exciting experience to figure out how the film festival circuit worked. So I went to a lot of film festivals for years and getting out there and meeting these people. And now we have relationships with film festivals for years and years. So I know that I can always go back to those festivals to support other filmmakers or any new things I have. Um, You know, film festivals love alumni. So it was more a focus of the career to make sure that I could seem legitimate so that I can get a new agent so that I can take another step. Um, none of these were fake projects, mind you. Right. There are people we have met that create fake projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what sets us apart. I'm able, to, you know, I'm a producer that's produced enough projects that have been released that I can add things to IMDb, but I'm never going to fake it. I really don't want to be associated with anybody who's fabricating a career but I always want to be associated with people who are intentionally working super hard and strategically to make a career from scratch right. because anybody in between anybody with just luck or anybody who is the right place at the right time. I, 
I don't want to be any of that. I want to be the one who worked so hard at the end of the day that I'm really proud of what I made. So it really doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I, I, I love what you've, you've said it in a couple of different ways now, but I love the idea of, you know, you said something along the lines of creating good content, not just content that, you know, allows you to be featured or whatever. And, and on the, uh, the note of, of, no fake credits. We do have like a no lying policy on the podcast. You know, when we get listener questions into the podcast. We have sometimes gotten questions on resumes and we have, we basically, you know, I've said just whatever you do, don't, you know, make up a credit. That's like the worst thing that you could do. And there's no point to any of it because you make all of your credits and all of your experience worthless if you aren't a genuine person in every movie, you know, that you've worked on every single project, you gain 10 people in your phone contacts, you gain 20 people online, social media, like connections, you can't fake it anymore. You have to have worked with so and so to work on that project. And if you're just making up stuff, then you don't have the experience and the know how it doesn't, there's no point to me. Right? Yeah, there's, in other words, there's, there's more to the project and the project itself. There's all of the exactly. ancillary stuff that comes from it as well. I, it's so true. I love that. So, and actors at this level will be on projects that'll take five years to get released sometimes. Um, all the people that you met on the project, you're working with, you know, once a year for those five years so that there's more projects that, you know, a project begets projects begets projects. Um, so that's what you want to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right there so that yeah because if you were yeah if you were doing it if it was good content and you were doing it for the credit then waiting five years for that is that's a long time to wait yeah. it's a long time to wait um so i want to ask about like i said i want to come back to the family thing but i feel like in order to do that i sort of have to ask you about being a multi-hyphenate We've had a lot on the show, but it seems like you take on a lot on your plate being a writer, director, producer, and actor on the same project. In fact, we've had a couple of people, I think, I think our last two guests have said that some of the lessons that they've learned have been, if I were to do it again, I would not do it all. I wouldn't wear all of these hats on you know the project on this particular project that I did on this particular short that I did or feature film that I did I would not wear all these different hats I would hire somebody to do X I would hire someone else to do Y and I would hire someone else to do Z so that I could focus on whatever it was the acting the writing the directing whatever it is they wanted to do but somebody taking on all of it saying like oh I don't know if I would do that again and it seems like you're doing it time and time and time and time again. And then in a moment, I'm going to ask you about how the hell you do all that with a family. So I'm just curious about, you know, I'm curious about how you make the multi-hyphenate thing work so that I can then ask you how you make that work in addition to, you know, having a, having a, a young family. It's, it's, it's sort of mind-blowing to someone who... I don't know. I, I don't know if I get as much done in a day as you do, Jenica, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I will start off by saying that any parent listening to this will a thousand percent agree. If I could go back in time for a day before I had a child, I would get so much done 
in that day. I would wake up at five and I'd be working to midnight and I would not be exhausted. It would be super easy to redo any day before I had kids because the perspective of having a child does change it. I'm aware of what can happen a day. I'm aware of how many hours you could spend a day, you know, in the car, the grocery store, doing everything. So um, that doesn't help, really. <laughs> but, no, it's um, it, it actually it it does because it helps put a perspective around it. It's like, you know, if you, I mean, maybe you don't get it if you don't have a kid, but you essentially what you're saying is like there's kind of no excuses. <laughs> There's no excuses. I recently started telling everyone in my life that is childless or single, um, I was sick. And my son doesn't know I'm sick and doesn't care I'm sick. And my husband still needs to go to work. So I remember laying there in bed trying so hard to be a mom thinking, if I could go back every time I was sick, ugh, everybody, single people in the world, next time you're sick, please lay down in front of the TV with all of your food and drugs and drinks and whatever it is you do, put on Netflix for the entire day and sleep and watch TV. Please, for me, do it because I can't do it for like 15 years. So please do that for me. But it's mainly because, you know, there is there is no excuse. You have to work. You have to be a mom, uh, rain, sleep, whatever post office says. You have to be accountable to your emails. You have to be accountable to your spouse. You have to be an adult. And it forces you to do things that I never dreamed of before. But Ryan and I have a unique relationship that Ryan uh, is able to work during the day. He does some handyman work and it's able to support us, which is a miracle. And I get to be a stay-at-home mom. But before I had my son, I was a stay-at-home wife and I handled all of our actor accounts, all of our LA casting actors access, blah, blah, blah. Um, I submitted us. I did all basically manager work for both of us. I was in charge of correspondence with our agents with booking out. Um, I ordered our postcards without even telling my husband I would design his postcards and his business cards and order them. I was in charge of our careers. And so when we became more project focused and working on art and filmmaking, because we found a lot of joy in that, uh, watching other films get made, being a part of other films, we realized that, um, all that energy, unfortunately being taken directly from our acting careers would go towards something that's actually worth advertising in our acting careers. And so if we're going to produce a feature, Gordon Family Tree is a good example because we, um, in 2011, went to a film festival in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where my husband's from, and we found the film community there. And we decided, okay, if there's enough support, we're going to shoot this movie here because it would work really well with the story. If you've seen the movie, which you should, it uh, gives you an idea of why you'd want to film in that state, in that city. It really takes advantage of a lot. But while we were planning this, we knew we're going to do it in uh, September of 2012. So we had so-and-so months to finish the script. So our writing job is almost basically over. And we were super focused on that. And then I had almost a year of pre-production where we would outline the budget. I was the line producer. We made props prop, uh, props plots. We made wardrobe plots. We did all of the pre-production of 10 people's jobs. We made preliminary call sheets. We got every single location 
Uh, we looked in areas for in-kind sponsorship. I wrote every single sponsorship contract to ask restaurants. We had all of our food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner provided for all 14 days of the shoot. Wow. Had um, all of our rooms given to us and provided. We had all of our locations given to us and provided. We had all of our music donated by the most amazing musicians in the world. <laughs> that just uh, we wouldn't ask too much. We asked for only one song per musician. Um, the song, the music, the film is very music heavy. There's a lot of songs that are um, super interesting and beautiful as a part of the film. We had a lot of. Um, cost cutting things and a lot of, um, community building relationships. We worked really hard on our social media to be focused on that. So it was an entire section of time that was devoted to that, where we figured out what we needed to do and we just did it. My husband would come home late at night sometimes and take the computer from my lap and say, you have to close it and go to bed. It was just so much work to do for just the two of us and, you know, mostly on my shoulders because we had to learn how to make an LLC. We had to learn how to make, get a small business account in a different state. I had to learn that when the Arkansas business hours are over that I have to be done talking to them or else I'll be frustrated because we're just not on the same time zone. We had to learn how to build our own websites. We had to learn a lot. And then when we filmed the feature, I was focused on being a producer and took, you know, that step backwards as an actor. Um, I only worked three days. And what we did is we went to John Brown University, which was a cinema school nearby, which I highly recommend for any filmmakers on the podcast listening, um, talking to a cinema school about interns. So we went to the college and we worked with the faculty and we had an intern in each department, including a producer intern. So I'm not just working as a multi-hyphenate every single day. I'm only working as one. I'm a producer, I'm a producer, I'm a producer. And then the day I'm an actor, my assistant, who's been working under me for weeks, is now the producer. She's in charge of everything. She knows how to do it. She went out and got her own um, sponsors for food because we um, needed one more uh, meal. She went out and did everything because she saw me do it from scratch and she knew I had no training <laughs> whatsoever and that I could do it. So of course she could do it. So we made sure that our multi-hyphenates don't work on the same days. That's how. And I would never say that I would do less on a project years later. What I would say is that I hope somebody else I can pay will do better on the next project. <laughs> yeah. But everything I've done on, on the last project and the project before that and the project before that has made me nothing but valuable. Unfortunately, too valuable as a producer on many films. I'm sure people would rather hire us as producers on films um, out of state. We have a, a good relationship with Arkansas and some other people who we're close friends with. You know, but I'd like to be hired as just an actor and not <laughs> want to get involved. I did a film in... Uh, this summer in July, about sex trafficking, I played the lead actress in the crime drama Ridge Runners. I'm very excited about it. I'm interested. I get out my actor binder. I've uh, printed the whole script and I've tabbed each of the days. Um, you know, this day ends on page 12. This day ends on page 36. And I make my own wardrobe and like makeup. I write down everything. I have all the call sheets and I have, because I'm privy to all the shot lists. So I've got everything like in my actor binder and I'm like super producer nerdy about it. And I was at like five days into the film 
or so. I, I was talking with the director. I had a good relationship with him. He's the best. Um, he asked me to come on as a producer. So <laughs> I'm like, great. That makes me so happy. So that at the end of this process that I put so much of my heart into this actress, uh, I mean, this character as an actress, I loved this project. Now I get to see it to the end. Now I get to make sure that I'm a part of the discussions of which film festivals we go after. I'm a part of the discussions of how we package this press kit. Uh, I think that we should do advertising through infographics for social media. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Like, I get to be a part of it. But my acting job is over when I get to start my producing job. And that's kind of the best part. I am so grateful that we have people like that. We have a reason to sit down and talk to people like this. And I'm looking over the notes that you took, AJ, to just sort of like catch me up on the interview. Mm. And I just I love some of these things like crowdfunding is harder, more vulnerable and more raw and painful than actually making the movie. I can completely <laughs> understand it. We had a lot of sort of crowdfunding cam, uh, conversations in the podcast this past uh, this past season. Uh, and, I, and I love that she follows it up with, but she loves how hard it is because she knows that, that it's going to separate her from the others. It's an opportunity for her to show the world what she's made of. And, and, and just the fact that, you know, when she's hired as an actress on projects, she acts like a producer and that actually often gets her a producing role. It, it takes a really special kind of person to recognize that. And really take yeah. advantage of it. And she is that person. So I'm really grateful that we get to have her her story and her journey and the details of what it takes from her on an ongoing basis to make it happen in this industry. That we get to share that with the community and, you know, create the next Jenica Schwartz, Schwartzman. Like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And just wait, just wait till part two when I ask her. I wanted to ask her, you know, for some pragmatic, practical advice for multi-hyphenates like herself. And she totally pulls in inside acting and talks about the inner game. Awesome. So just wait, part two gets even better. What's your uh, what's your pick of the week, man? You know, I've got so many picks of the week that I want to share, and I, I I guess I'll just roll with the one that I was going to do last episode, which is a book that I've read before. Hey, it's a good thing we have a weekly podcast. Yeah. We can talk about <laughs> touche. <laughs> uh, it's a book I've read before, and I'm just kind of re- revisiting it because I I've long suspected that this climate issue uh, just to circle back to that is is not really a conversation about carbon in the atmosphere or you know melting methane on the sea the seafloor I, I don't really think it's actually that's what it's about I mean scientifically on a on a you know tangible level yes that's absolutely what it's about but what what's underneath that and it really is our thinking as a culture it's our relationship to the natural world and to each other and just how far we've come from how we lived for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years sustainably happily in a fulfilled way and and then we kind of came to you know the agricultural revolution and we've got civilization now and there's a whole you know power structure and it's it's this book if they give you lined paper right sideways by Daniel Quinn is a really fascinating look into our culture and the things that make us tick and the mythology that we walk around with in our heads every day 
that has us behave the way we do, that has us regard trees and squirrels and salmon and foxes the way we do, rather than maybe the way an indigenous people in the jungles of Malaysia might might uh, relate to them. So it's a really fast, like if you want to go into the matrix or out of the matrix, which, you know, one of the two, if you want to <laughs> like unplug rather and really kind of get underneath that stuff, this book is amazing. It's written like a play, actually. It's written kind of like a dialogue. Like it's got two characters and they speak back and forth to one another. It's essentially a transcribed conversation between the author, Daniel Quinn, and one of his readers who flew out to his home to talk to him to get a deeper understanding of these ideas. And uh, man, if you want to bake your noodle and have a brand new take on things, this is a, a great place to start. That Matrix analogy is bl- blowing my mind a little bit. It, to, to look at yeah. the the way that that culture for the last two hundred years has you know uh, operated as being the matrix, <laughs> and um, yeah. everything before that is not being is like I'm, my noodles already baking and then picked up the book. Yeah, and and I'm like I'm it's, that's not even an exaggeration. That's actually what it is. And this book is just. He talks about coming, uh, basically looking at, at things as if he were an, um, what he calls a Martian anthropologist. So somebody who is not from our world, from our culture, and looking down and seeing how these people are behaving and asking, what is the thinking? What is the predominant <laughs> philosophy of th- their role on this planet within the greater context of the ecosystem that has them behave that way? And he's not judging or making people wrong. It's just like factual, like, oh, they believe this about their place in the world. And that is why they behave this way. And these are the results that it's creating. Is that sustainable? Is it not? And it's really, God, it's, it is the epitome of a noodle bake. So I highly recommend it. If they give you lined paper right sideways by Daniel Quinn link on our website. Yeah. Epic. And your, your pick of the week. Hmm. I don't want to say this. I'm not his biggest fan. But damn it, if Jimmy Fallon doesn't do some really awesome, funny stuff on his show. Like, <laughs> yeah, he does. That, that whole thing he did with uh, with uh, Justin Timberlake, or, or keeps doing with Justin Timberlake, it's like they've done it like six times or something like that. Anyway, uh, he, he's super talented, and like the stuff, the, his bits on his show are really funny, and the stuff that he gets other people to do, like celebrities, like the lip sync battles and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it drives me crazy because I'm not his biggest fan, but I really like his show. Yeah. And one of the things that he's been great about is bringing on artists, specifically music artists that aren't very well known. There was he found a YouTube video of this. I think it was like a girl who like sings and plays. She was like a singer songwriter or something. And she had like 600 subscribers on YouTube. And he's like, I want her on the show. And the producers were like. Uh, are you serious? She's only got 600. Like, what are you talking about? She has no following. And he goes, I don't care. She's amazing. I want her on the show. Hmm. And the, the, the girl probably had like a four song EP or something. And he brought her on and had her perform. So That's anyway, awesome. he's been really good to musicians. And about two weeks ago, he had one of the coolest bands I have heard in a very long time. Come on. They sort of remind me of the feeling that I get when I listen to uh, Mumford and Sons. Uh, but they're called Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. And they, <laughs> the Night Sweats. they performed this song called SOB, which stands for Son of a Bitch. And it was like two weeks ago. And if you go to their website, the link is on our website, to their website. If you go to their website, they have the video of them on Jimmy Fallon featured. 
It's like mm-hmm. the featured mm-hmm. thing on their website. And I, I was speechless after watching and listening to this. I was absolutely speechless. Put it this way. They got a standing ovation from the Tonight Show crowd. Wow. A standing O. It was so amazing. So just go watch just that one video. Yeah, great yeah. stuff. We also got a. I can't. I can't decide if this is a listener or a team pick, but uh, we got a listener pick of the week from uh, the ghost host with the most, uh, Ben Whitehair. Uh, he actually he didn't even email this in. He just told me about it uh, when we were hanging out yesterday, finalizing our syllabus. He was like, "Oh, you got to tell your podcast listeners about this other podcast." Um, so if you want to cheat on us. Off camera with Sam Jones, um, it, the link will be on our website, but it's apparently this awesome podcast with a uh, photographer director named Sam Jones who, um, you know, now I'm thinking about this. I think another listener may have sent this in a long time ago and we already talked about it. Could be wrong. But anyway, I guess he just interviews, uh, you know, various celebrities, but, you know, uh, somehow gets them a little more raw than they would be on a on a press junket or something like that mm, so mm. um you know check it out recommendation from ben whitehair all right so that is uh, just to recap that's if they give you lined paper right sideways a an amazing book by daniel quinn nathaniel rateliff and the night sweats check out their video uh on that's linked from our website to their website uh that has a video with uh, their performance on jimmy fallon and uh, and then Ben's pick, Off Camera with Sam Jones, a podcast that is kind of like ours, I guess. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, we uh, we are so grateful for our amazing listeners. We have uh, so much love and support from the community to keep this thing going every week. And this week, we wanted to just give two specific shout-outs to Fern Lim and Danny Thomas. Fern sent us a really great uh, tweet uh, and just, you know, thanking us and, and letting us know that this podcast means a lot to her, which is really great. And then Danny, is th- is this the Danny that wrote us that email? Yeah, the, I think he's Australian, but he's in Germany. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, something like that. And his email was just, oh, it was beautiful. I literally brought me to tears like i started yeah. tearing up danny like you, you gotta know man like what you said really really touched us um thank you it, it was like the most amazing like straight from the hip like this is why uh you guys are doing something really good in the world and that was it he had no alternative agenda he wasn't trying to like sell himself or or offer something like he just that was it that was the whole purpose of the email was just to say thanks you rock and and danny thank you <laughs> That yeah. uh, that getting messages like that is a huge reason I think we do this. It's just to yeah. know that uh, hey, this little podcast you put out on the internet every week it, it does make a difference, and that's really wonderful to hear. So thank you. I I will be printing it and framing it. Yeah, no <laughs> shit, me too, dude. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> all right, well, as uh, all of you know, today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. Trevor Algott edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on iTunes and your reviews are hugely appreciated. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com and a special thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to support it and maximize its value in your life and career, 
It's easy. Sign up as a monthly member and get really cool perks. You'll get access to our membership uh, message board, cool freebies, uh, invites to exclusive member meetups like the one coming up uh, on the 24th, as well as the ABC meetup, which happens every other week, discounts on merchandise, and more. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. That is it for episode 208 of Inside Acting. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, what are your hyphenates?